welcome to episode number 209 of CXO Talk. And on this CXO Talk, we are celebrating the holiday season. And how are we celebrating the holiday season? We're going to have a great conversation. That's our way of celebrating. I'm Michael Krigsman. I am an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And CXO Talk brings together people who are shaping the future, the most innovative people in the world, for in-depth conversation. And you are part of that conversation. So as we're talking right now, there's a tweet chat taking place on Twitter with the hashtag CXO Talk. And I'm so thrilled because today we're speaking on the topic of artificial intelligence, AI in marketing. We're here with Samir Patel, who is an old friend. I've known Samir for for years, who's CEO of Kahuna Software and his colleague, Andrew Eichenbaum, who is Kahuna's lead data scientist. Gentlemen, how are you? Fantastic. How are you, Michael? Doing great. I am excellent. And, you know, I was thinking we should have brought like, you know, I should have worn a, a Santa yeah, hat. And... Yeah. Well, I got the, uh, the Starbucks branded Christmas uh, cup here. If we can have that. All right. Well, that's um, that's good. So we've got so we so we have some Christmas cheer happening here. Mm-hmm. So uh, so Samir and Andrew, please, uh, Samir, why don't you tell us uh, tell us about Kahuna Software? Sure. So um, thanks for, for having us. Uh, so Kahuna Software is a it's a uh, B two C marketing automation uh, provider. Uh, we have built um, a real time platform that allows brands to uh, be able to understand what in, you know the the interests uh, and 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 preferences of their consumers literally within seconds. Be able to make sense of it, add it to their profile, and put meaningful uh, offers in front of them. Be that. Uh, for a commerce vendor, or uh, if you're a media company and you need to engage your uh, prospects, um, this is a new way of using artificial intelligence to engage with uh, your consumers on the right device um, at the right time. We're based in California. Um, we're a four-year-old company. We're privileged to be funded by Sequoia Capital and Softech Ventures and Tanaya as our lead investors and a whole bunch of other amazing people supporting us. Um, and we're about 60 people. Uh, mostly in California, some in uh, New York, and the others in Vancouver. Andrew, Andrew, so, you're you're a lead data scientist. So, uh, so what is it that you actually do? What does a lead data scientist do? So, uh, that actually is an interesting question because when I was looking around at places, you know, I joined up with Kahuna just about a quarter ago. Um, I actually had not looked at marketing places. Uh, I had actually done consulting work with large companies, Intel, Intuit, with their marketing groups, and had suggested things like recommendations, personalization, and they said, this is great and well, but everybody had sort of left it at that point. Um, When I was contacted, this was the first company that really thought of marketing as data, And, and then what can we do with this data? How can it better help us understand? Uh, the people and, you know, better mail to them, better send to them, know when, where, how, and pretty much not spam them. So the data scientist is sort of stuck in the middle of making sure the data is all good and then being able to figure out all these things. Fantastic. Uh, 
So why don't we kick this off with a discussion of B2B, B2C marketing, your business to consumer marketing. And, yeah. but you're, but you're selling to your end customers are consumers, but you're selling to businesses. Yeah. I mean, our, our end customers are consumer brands who engage with uh, you and me as consumers who buy stuff. Right. So one of the great things about taking over this business uh, is that, you know, the, it's, it's very easy to keep yourself honest and know if you're doing useful stuff because all of us are consumers of or end recipients of what uh, Kahuna does. Right. So, um, you know, and in the, and in the, in the B2C and the consumer space, I think in the last four or five years, you know, we've seen probably the most tectonic shifts in terms of how you and me as consumers want to engage and be engaged, uh, by brands. Right. And, um, <clears throat> You know, the, the specific area where Kahuna plays is in the area of retention, right? So you use, you know, you might use ad technology and other ways to drive new customer acquisition. Where Kahuna comes in place uh, is how do you get existing customers to engage more, to make their first purchase go from first to second to third, and really drive loyalty uh, for each of the customers. So that is a very specific place where we end up, uh, you know, have where majority of our folks are all of our focuses as, uh, as a company. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things uh, that when, when we look at sort of the convergence and the need for consumer brands to begin to rethink how they engage uh, and uh, with consumers that engage and transact with uh, consumers, you know, is if you if you look back at the last four or five years and see the changes that have happened in terms of how we expect brands to work with us, you know, you look at some of the most common and, and, and I apologize because these are overused examples, but I think they actually matter. Uh, you know, when you look at the notion of how you procure a ride on Uber, for example, you go from this point of of them making an offer to you consuming the service and getting and finishing the service. And at no point during that whole life cycle did you ever think somebody was marketing to you. You felt you won. You you needed a you needed a a taxi. They provided supply at that point and location where you needed it. You used it. You consumed it. You moved on. You know, when you um, and, you know, Michael, you and I have talked about this, you know, a lot when you look at Amazon, for example, right? And, you know, you see a wish list or you see things that Amazon might recommend to you. We're getting to a point where I don't think, at least I will speak for myself, I never, almost never find what Amazon is recommending to be annoying. I may not buy, but it is super relevant. And we're getting to this place where, where if offers can be as relevant and as timely as, as, as they seem to be becoming, by some of the more digitally native and proficient brands, um, you know, we are willing to accept more and more of what might have otherwise looked at spam if it were not well targeted, right? So Kahuna is focused on taking that kind of an experience to every single consumer brand out there. How do we get brands to truly be able to engage just at the right time with the right offer on the right device based on the digital breadcrumbs that you and I today are leaving every single day you know, you're on your mobile phone, um, you're browsing stuff, you're putting stuff in wish list, you're almost buying, you're looking at goods 10 times. We never had this kind of information as brands to be able to truly understand what you are interested in. How do we put that to use in a way that respects how a consumer wants to work? And really, that is what gets us to work every day. We try to get better and better and better at, at, at solving that problem. 
So, so Andrew, uh, this notion is very interesting. What, what Samir just said that when you are buying a product, say, say from Uber, you're, you, you don't think that they're marketing to you. You don't interpret messages as spam. And so is relevance the key to have for consumers to have that kind of open warmth and acceptingness of marketing messages so they actually seek it rather than push it away? So let me take a step back to put this in context. To start off with what Samir was saying, we're in this sort of new era where you can market to anybody probably 14 to 16 hours a day. People are that connected to their cell phone. It's always there. There are multiple channels to reach out to them. And that's all through one device. This is something which has become ubiquitous, at least in the U.S. market over the past sort of five years. Now, that being said, it's easy enough to spam them. And nobody wants to do that because people have become hypersensitive to the whole situation of, I've got one bad message. Okay, you're on the cutting block. Second bad message, two days later, you're gone. And the reacquisition cost to pull somebody back in is amazingly high. So the question is, it's not just not sending them spam, it's knowing what to send them, when to send to them, how you send to them, because there's a whole range of things. Uh, what message do you want to send to them? Uh, and, and this, it just extends out. One of the most interesting things you can think of is not to think about goals. Like I want to sell this person a product. I want them to become, uh, you know, you know, move the next step down my path. Uh, we're now in an area where we can think about, I want to increase my expected long-term value of all my customers. I want to increase their overall engagement state. And this is what marketers can now reach to. This is this can be what seemed to be a more nebulous goal before is now something that we can actually move forward and try and act on. I think, you know, Michael, one, one interesting one of the things that's interesting to sort of note as we have this discussion, right, is <clears throat> trying to understand the baseline first, right? We can, we always will talk about better ways to do stuff, but I always like to spend a little time just talking about where does the market sit today? So against this backdrop of this very sophisticated consumer and their expectations that Andrew just described uh, and that we talked about, it's really also important to say, okay, how does the existing technologies in place stack up? to that very increasingly demanding customer, right? And it's pretty daunting when you start to think about how the you know, marketing automation created a decade, you know, a decade ago uh, stacks up to that, right? The market's over $10 billion in size, yet there is over $280 billion worth of goods left in abandoned shopping carts every single year. $280 billion, right? That's how much you and I go and we almost buy and we put it in the shopping cart and we leave it there and you don't, you know, and, and, and you're just not effectively nudging the consumer through the finish line or providing them with the handholding and the information and the research that might be required to push them through the finish line. So you're left with almost, you know, if you look at some of the research that's out there right now, the conversion rates are two to 3%. On all this expense on commerce, that's how bad it is. When you say that, when you say the conversion rates are two, two to three percent, which conversion rates specifically? E-commerce. E-commerce. 
So when you look across e-commerce today, right, all the investment being put in to put the right, put, you know, what, what seemed like the right offers lead to two to 3% of conversion, right? And, you know, we're now finally at a point where you can begin to, you know, bring together both the art and the science of marketing, given the advancements in technology, which is what we're going to talk about, you know, in, on the show later today, to start to say, how do I take those meaningful messages? But that's not enough. I got to find, A, are they mean, as meaningful as they can be? B, are they being put out at the right time on the right device, like you were saying earlier? Because the consumer is, is telling you, look, I am sharing my location with you on my phone. I'm sharing the things that I'm interested in. This is not those days of email marketing where you knew nothing about me and you had to spam me. You better well be doing much, you know, much better than you are right now, right? And that is the backdrop of where you start to truly understand the difference between the technology that 90% of consumers are using today and increasingly what uh, the the uh, sorry, which of the brands are using today, and increasingly, you know, the new persona of this digitally connected consumer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, so we're in this situation where if you can more accurately tailor the content, the message, the timing, and the channel mm -hmm. to the consumer, to the online consumer, that person will be more receptive because. Oh yeah, I'm getting something that I care about. That's what that's the bottom line here, right? That's the bottom line. I mean, it, and it doesn't have to be commerce only, right? These are this is the, there are all sorts of messages that various online companies want to you know put in front of you. It could be about engaging for a show like CXO Talk, where you're going after consumers. It's the same problem you wake up every day too. Seriously, right? You're you're thinking about how to put meaningful content in front of consumers. One, but secondly, did they hear you? Right. And it's it's it, this is why I love this business, because it's a it's we are all consumers when we walk out the office. In the OK, say something. So. <laughs> OK, so so Andrew Eichenbaum, again, you're a data scientist and artificial intelligence comes into play here to solve this problem. So How, tell us about that. So artificial intelligence can solve many problems. The question is, can you define what you really want? Uh, you might ask the system, you, you tell your data scientist to go off and I want to increase our revenues by X amount. And the data scientist goes off and increases your revenues. And then three weeks later, everybody goes away and nobody's bothering to see your site anymore. And they ask, what happened to the data scientist? I increased your revenues. We never talked about lifetime value and things like that. <laughs> but you were able to increase your revenue by 50%. So it's a double-edged sword. So I, spammed every, so I spammed everybody. I increased your revenues like you told me, but you didn't tell me you didn't want me to, you wanted to keep these people coming back. That's right. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, data science is, is sort of half science, half black arts, much like the rest of marketing, you, you need, you have these feels and understandings uh, of what's going on and what you think about your consumer and how you think they work. The only difference with data science is that the data scientist is always asked to prove it with numbers and you know, looking back with data, looking forward. Uh, but the interesting thing is that all the rest of marketing is, is following along those lines too. People are being asked to, to say, it's not just hearts and minds. It's what numbers were, what were the returns? What was our ROI on the spend for these sets of campaigns? 
uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, but how does the, but how does the AI work? Where does so so can you d- just dig in a little bit and make that AI connection? So what do you mean by AI in in this context? What are the what's the kind of data that you look at? Yeah. How does this all you have? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good. It's a good question. I mean, so let me give an example. When a baby is born, they don't understand the idea that something is hot. So it takes them a while. So they're standing. They they can see. Say there's a pot on the stove on the burner, and it's and it's boiling away, and they don't know anything. So they touch it and they burn themselves. But in coming closer and closer, you you start getting understanding. It's, oh, that could be hot. Well, you start learning, you put your hand a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, and constantly getting warmer and warmer without actually having to touch and hurt yourself. It's a feedback system. Uh, most of modern AI is exactly the same thing. It's what, what are called supervised learning systems. We have large amounts of historical data where we know the outcomes. So we say, we believe to get this outcome, we should look at all of this data beforehand. And so what we do is we have these programs, which we say, here's all of the inputs. Uh, Here's what we want. It's either good or bad by the definition or however you want to define your outcome. And you pass it through the system and you say, and it spits out something. It says, this was good. Well, you know, it was good. So you reinforce and you say, oh, it's all happy. And then you pass another thing through the system and you say, this was, and it says, this was good. It's like, no, it was bad. You pretty much slap it and you say, it should really have been marked bad. And you do this over and over again. So it's learning the exact same way somebody would learn that something is hot or something is cold. You, you get a better understanding over time from a whole range of input variables. That's a really important point, right? Because I think there's so much hype around this topic right now. And one of the things is, and whether, you know, when we talk to customers, this is whether it's in a sales cycle or their customer success programs, you, you have to start to have a very open discussion with customers about where the state of AI is today. Promise them that you're kind of at the, at the edge or at the, at the bleeding edge of it, but make no mistake, it's a, it's a constant process of refinement and improvement and improvement and improvement, right? And so, you know, maybe another way to also sort of to build on what Andrew said in terms of where the AI comes in, there are a couple of places where the AI, the, the AI piece comes in, right? One is, you know, what is the point of all of this? The point of all of this in plain English is how do you begin to move from, you know, what I like to call lazy segmentation and cohorting because the technology just has never been sophisticated. So we kept putting random people, you know, into buckets just to make ourselves feel good that these segments actually matter and starting to move in a direction where you're starting to really engage and transact with an audience of one. Now, to do that, you're going to have to do, you know, there's different places where AI gets injected. Maybe you can talk about it from in the standpoint of how we do it from a path and optimization standpoint to understand how you go after each, each, you know, end user, right? And then maybe the second piece here, Michael, that's worth talking about too, where we, you know, there, then this is again where, you know, I've written a blog post about sort of the things I learned in the first 60 days of coming here. And one of the big things I learned coming from the outside in was the amount of peanut buttering of AI that happens in the industry, right? And you have to also talk about the integrity and the real-time access to data before you applying any AI to it. So one of the things that we do in Kahuna is within five seconds of you making a gesture within a mobile app on your phone, Kahuna will record that and update your profile. And within 30 seconds, we can push an offer out to you. If you don't have that level of immediacy, no amount of peanut buttering, that's just putting AI on 
you know, it's making your bad data smarter in some ways, right? So I don't know, maybe you want to just talk about, um, you know, those aspects of where in this process you would specifically inject these concepts to actually move the needle. So let, let me touch to both of those points that Samir brought up. First about the data. Um, data is good. Data is great. It's sort of the center point of data science. But if the data is junk, the data science coming out will be junk as well. So a large piece of any data scientist's life or a team is making sure the data is coming through the system, is properly being stored, cleansed, verified, so that when we finally get to have fun and play with these advanced systems, we can believe in the results coming out. Because if not, why bother doing it? So how, how, is, how is this different from traditional marketing? So mm -hmm. where, so, so again, from, from, from the techniques that you're bringing to bear with AI and machine learning, how is it different from the way marketing, digital marketing was handled up until this point? Great question. Yeah. So let me give some direct experience. So I worked at a company called MyBuys. It's now part of Magnetic. This was about eight, 10 years ago. And we were providing Amazon-like recommendations as a service, uh, various mid-sized companies. And one of the things we did there, or I did there, was to figure out what's the optimum time to send out to a client base. And that being, being an entire consumer base, and you can plot it out over time for the entire base and say, it's best if we send out the, the blast email at 10 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And so we'd batch it out starting a little beforehand till then, and it was all good. And we, we were able to see significant lift. But now we have the ability to actually do this on an individual basis. We've seen an individual come in and respond to messages or not respond to messages over various channels over the over the past couple of months and we know how they respond to what type of message so we're no longer blasting out to the entire group at a single time of the week we can actually set up our campaigns so that an individual user will be sent out right before the expected time or at depending upon the channel so this is this is the real thing you say well that's a hell of a lot more i mean you're literally dealing with orders of magnitude more data to do this the other advantage is Moore's law has helped us. We have a huge amount more processing power, and it's not it, it's not the limiting factor anymore. What and, is the number right now? Half a billion events a day. Yes. Yeah, so we so Kahuna on, on its own processes half a billion events a day, um, and it's literally linear scalable system. We can we run in the cloud and can simply add more computers as we get more data. So it's. Uh, so I think, and I think one, you know, there's another way to also look at this. You know, Michael, I know you know you've been a follower of enterprise technology for so long. So if you start to also look at, you know, the if you look at the predecessor to what Kahuna is today, right? The predecessor to Kahuna were email delivery systems built a decade ago. And and again, no disrespect to, to that model. That was the state of the art back then. You know, the only, the, the way to to not have to put a flyer in your mailbox. Uh, you know, email was a great alternative to doing that at scale for much cheaper, right? So you totally get that. We've now reached a point, though, where the the the, the number of engagement and touch points for a for us as consumers has gone from one, which was email, to many, and and we haven't even seen this this play out yet, right? So today, the dominant ones are email still, and mobile, SMS. We're gonna have beacons tomorrow. We're gonna have IoT after that. We're gonna have 
um, uh, you know, chatbots, right? It's going to go, you know, the, the places where we engage are going to increase. The other amazing thing about where we are right now is, is that every one of those engagement touch points are going to start to send different events to us that again, email just never sent back. So if you do not have a system today that can accept these signals from these different engagement touch points, make sense of them, add them to Michael's profile, but still have the luxury and the, and the, the oxygen, if you will, to say, I may have learned something new about Michael through a gesture on the mobile phone, but the right way to engage with Michael based on machine learning is 7 p.m. on Thursday nights via email, because that's when he seems to be on his laptop and he, he seems to want to engage and buy stuff. You have to start as a marketeer to decouple the smarts of the system and where you want to engage with people. This is where the technology has fundamentally shifted from what were truly nothing more than email delivery machines. You know, batch and blast, batch and blast, batch and blast, right? Um, you that allows marketeers to engage in a fundamentally different way. Andrew, can you drill down a little bit and give us some concrete examples to kind of maybe walk us through how you, how you look at the data in order to personalize to that level of the individual that Samir was just describing using AI? Sure. We can, uh, let me talk about a project we're working on right now. And it's a question of, uh, of whether we should send an email or not. So you set up this, this batch, you optimize everything. Uh, you ha each individual has a send time. But the question is, should we be interacting with them at all? Uh, you can ask yourself the question, will they, will, do we expect them to interact with this message? Or do we even need to send the message because we, they, we expect them to interact with with the site, the media, anyhow, so that the cost of this message isn't lost because there was no reason to. The, and the, I guess the best way to put this is we look at their history. We look at all the ways that they've been interacting with the site over the past, over the past roughly 100 days. We look at all the different messages that they've received. Have they interacted with those messages? Or have they not interacted with those messages that we see, but that their site usage has gone up? Uh, there's a bunch of other things going in there, which is probably a bit too much at this point. But it's trying to understand the expectations of using the site and whether people want to to uh, to pay the cost of the email, whether they say it's not worth it at this point in time. So you have so you have this body of historical data about an individual, about their, what they've done, their open rates on that email. Is that correct? And then you're looking at, you're looking at that historical data and doing analysis on it. So there's two pieces though, right? There's, there's the data that Kahuna collects. And then because of how the system's architected, if a customer, you know, if it's a commerce example, we can even pull in point of sale data uh, to enrich in the profile, right? So that's again, the benefit of having built an API first model of you know, four years ago and not 20 years ago where the systems are closed by default. So also remember, we're not looking at just email. We're looking at email. We're looking at push notifications, looking at SMS, a whole range. Uh, because when that message was sent out, even before I asked that question, that this sort of last minute question, should we send <laughs> something out or not? We need to understand what's the best way to reach out to them. Uh, and depending upon the message and the time of day, uh, this and the requirements from the marketeer, we, we might want to send out a push notification. 
which is completely separate. Um, it, this comes back to a more interesting question that, uh, that even the other modern marketers aren't sort of attacking in that it, this is really a derivative problem. It's not just how many times have you opened your emails and moved forwards? How many push notifications? It's like, okay, given that your last two messages were push notifications over this past two and a half weeks and your interaction for this and a number of other things, how should we message you? It's, it's, it's this whole encompassing profile of where you are in the short term, the midterm and the long term, and how, and how that defines how we should interact with you going forward. So it's not just a matter of uh, counting up times. <laughs> you can do that, but you don't get the lifts that you do. You, you, you're, you're back to where we were five years ago. Okay. So, so now you've got this body of data. You're making these inferences, essentially, about individual consumers, the type of content they like when they like to read it or receive that content and which channel and so forth. So we've got all of that and we're applying these advanced AI and machine learning techniques to it. What do we get as a result? Why are we doing this? You're not spamming your consumer is the, is the, is the easiest result. You're telling them what they want to know on their timescale. My goal is not to market to people, it's to make suggestions to people. If they never feel like they're marketed to, but we're sending them messages, then I feel that we've reached this ultimate goal. We've influenced the people without them ever thinking that they were being influenced. They were being passed information that, that is relative, relevant to them at the point of time that it would be most relevant to them. So I, and that's a really good point. I think you know one of the things that um, you know, Andrew very astutely said is the the rhetoric right now, and which is kind of disappointing. And again, because I came from the outside in into this world, it's one of the first things I picked up when I took the, took the role as I tried to understand how the industry was speaking. And we kind of went from um, you know this this let's let's drop email. Email's dead. It's all about mobile. And you get to a point where none of us wants to get excessive notifications on our phone. Like that, that suddenly doesn't make it correct because it's become it's become uh, mobile, right? And so, this notion of being cross-channel at your core, where you can actually engage with people in a way that respects the pace at which they want to go through this journey. We've got brands, we've got big consumer brands that have massive segments of their customers who say, "Look, the primary engagement model needs to be email." And, and mobile once in a while. That same customer has very lucrative segments of people who want to buy from them that say, absolutely not. I need more mobile, some SMS. We have to let every brand decide. What is that right combination for every demographic or user type that you have? And, 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 you know, and respect the pace at which those consumers want to engage with these brands and transact. Sometimes it, Kahuna helps the brand figure out, you know what, it's going to take four or five or six engagement touch points before you can get to a place where you can get to whatever you define as your goal, be that conversion or what have you. We can't assume, we can't assume steep cliffs, nor can you assume, you know, gradual rises. You have to, have to start to uh, respect the pace at which they want to move. So these are some of the things that we think really hard about and brands are starting to understand that, you know, we can't swing completely to the other end of the pendulum and just start hammering people with mobile notifications, right? 
Um, it's an interesting problem that I'm not saying everybody solved, but I feel like we spent an adequate amount of time thinking about it. Would you agree with that? Yes. So when you uh, so when you deliver information that is cued again to the to the type of content, who it's being delivered to, tailored to who it's being delivered to, how they like to receive it, when they like to receive it. In a sense, what's happening is you are bypassing the the mental filters that the that the receiver sets up to block out that we all have to automatically try to block out the meaningless barrage of, of marketing noise that we get all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and I, yeah, because I I care, because I care about it. I care about this. I was, you know, I happen to be interested in things like cameras and microphones and, and plugins for audio and all that kind of stuff. Of course you are. (laughs) And when they, of course, and when isn't everybody. And when, and when I look at websites and I see these things, I don't look at it and say, oh, that's creepy. I hate that. I look at it and say, oh, that's interesting. You know, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. And I think this is where, you know, unfortunately, as consumers, we have, we have, we have, we have normalized in some ways uh, to a world of batch and blast that was created 10 and 15 years ago where you know we we get an, an adequate amount of spam and 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 we and it's not until i think now in the last two or three years where there's actually been enough technology inv- advancement for us to sort of wake up and say why are we why are we dealing with the second grade way of 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 living and getting hit and getting spammed uh, and why can't every commerce retailer be, you know, why can't their recommendation engines be as targeted as some of the big brands that have been inventive in the last four or five years? Um, and I, you know, that's, that to us is success when we can get customers to begin to sort of, you know, every e-commerce vendor, every media company, every travel company, all of the industries where we play heavily. And if we can get them to that place, I think our job's done. Yeah. I mean, for me, those banner ads or whatever pushes or emails that you get are great, but I hate them. Like I've just purchased this like a day ago. I don't want to be seeing these. These are now the most annoying ads I could ever see. Like I purchased it. Why are you bothering me? Being able to understand that sort of level, I think is really the next step for most marketing out there that, uh, that even your best knowing when your best intent is most likely spam. Yeah. And you know, and Michael, I think the other interesting thing is, is, you know, we always talk about, the world has changed and it's a new world and it's a new consumer, but there are many things that have not changed. Let's be honest about that too, right? There are things that continue, like when we talked about the conversion rates, two and 3% e-commerce conversion rates. This is a problem that every market here and frankly, every CEO of a consumer brand has been waking up to for decades, right? They plow the amount of money they plow into customer acquisition costs uh, to drive new customer acquisition uh, has been only going up. But the amount of focus and available technology, once they've acquired that customer, to get from that, from the point of you are now a customer to the first purchase, what is the actual work required to get you from first purchase to second purchase? We all know, and I think you would attest to this, right, that as a consumer, forget all the gobbledygook technology for a second. I will say in my own buying pattern, if I buy from a given mobile e-commerce app for the third time, my mind starts to get trained around certain category. I associate that brand with certain categories and I will not actually go to a search engine. If I'm looking at products within those two, three categories, I will go to see if this vendor actually has it. And that is something we think really, really deeply about. And I don't think that the retention part of, 
of marketing automation technology has advanced ever to a point like it is now, where you can begin to really, really say, first point of first goal, get the customer to download the app. Second goal, get them to make the first purchase. Third goal, get them to make the second purchase. And having that level of discipline, we're now at a point where you can do that if you use um, machine learning based technologies, right? So it's it's just it's going to change how we how we interact over the next decade. We're just getting started. Now, what about the flip side of this, which is the fact that you're you're looking so closely at consumer data, and yes, they're my digital tracks, and they're not particularly secret. I'm going to these websites, but when you start aggregating this kind of data, what about the privacy implications? So this is a question that comes up at every company that deals with marketing and AI. They say, well, now that we can draw these correlations between all this data, what does it mean? Uh, are we going to spook our customers? Uh, this, I can tell you uh, numerous stories. And what's really interesting is it's actually based upon age. The older the age range, the more worried they are about the security and privacy of say their generic internet traffic. Now there are other places with like medical and banking uh, where people just don't want to share that. They, they, they're extremely secretive. Uh, and, and these are where things like the personally identifiable information comes in uh, and making sure that nobody can see these sort of things easily out on the web or, or, or advertise to that specifically. But if you look at, heck, just look at social media. I mean, how much do people post? And they're specifically sharing it with the world. Um, is it that much more than just viewing your, uh, I don't view my web history trail as, as any less personal than what I'm putting up there. Pictures of my kids, you know, conversations that might be going on. Um, people have become accustomed to a single, to a certain amount of sharing and they understand that that sharing have, will be used to profile them by multiple people. What the smart what the smart companies are doing is they're saying, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to make it better for you. Uh, you can see this on Google, on Facebook. It's like, is this ad valid to you? Do you want us to advertise to this? They're, they're upfront saying, we're going to profile you based upon your activity. What pieces do you not and do want to be uh, you know, marketed to? How, how do you want us to use this information? So basically opt in essentially. Sure. I mean I, yeah, you're you're leaving, you know, certain uh, you're 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 leaving certain digital breadcrumbs proactively open, right? Um, this is no more than you know what you have agreed to leave open. Now usually also understand in our context because we sit on the retention side. You know, there is an association with the brand already. You have you have the app or helping you just go through a more meaningful purchase with that particular brand that you have decided to do business with. Um, there's no denying that this stuff can be used, you know, in ways that are not kosher, right? Um, it, it really boils down to, you know, you having the faith in the brand and the customer success teams and the people you work with day in and day out, um, you know, to, because, because again, I mean, I think and every brand knows that recovering from, from brand damage is far more expensive than, uh, uh, than, than, you know, the initial abuse, right? So, uh, you know, stay within the lines of what the consumer has agreed to expose, and you're okay. 
So, so, so maybe this is an important point that essentially what you're saying is smart brands will engage in behaviors that will engender trust among consumers. And so, and you started to talk about this, but maybe give us some advice to brands for what are behaviors that will engender trust? How do you engender brand confidence and, and trust? Well, go. I'll go off here. So one of the easiest ways from the data science side uh, and has viewed, has been viewed as important is explaining why we do what we do. Uh, giving the user, if they ask, the reasons why we're marketing this to you. And you see this on, net, on Netflix. If you go on their streaming, if you go down lower and lower in the recommendations, they say movies because you watched this and that. Uh, films based upon this genre that you seem to like based upon your viewing habits. Just give a brief explanation, which seems, which seems plausible and at the root of the reason or the way you were targeting them. And people, people find it much easier to, to ingest and understand and trust those sorts of things. So I, I, I I agree with you. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to come at this from a different side as well. And this is not, uh, this is an indirect way, but I truly believe that there is going to be more and more of this over the next coming, over the coming years. One of the things that is least talked about in this concept of, of, of trust between a brand and a consumer. So one is absolutely the things Andrew talked about. There's, there's a level of, you know, will you screw me over or not? Okay. There's, there's definitely that discussion, but there's another discussion too, which is I start to have more trust and faith and respect for a brand as a consumer when I see that they have taken the extra effort to understand who I am. You know, you're going to your, you know, do you, do you think Amazon breaks your trust when you see five things that they suggest based on your interest? No, I don't think you, you know, these are, this, this, this is again, shrinking that distance between what an offer is and what valuable information is. And I think as you start to do that in a meaningful, respectful way, I'm not going out and telling Michael Krigsman's friends what Michael's interested in. I'm, I'm sticking to Michael and Michael, only Michael gets to, to benefit from that. You start to build a, a mutually respectful relationship with a brand. Um, and I think that's, that implicitly starts to go a long way. The problem has been the opposite, which is, you know, you're, you're try, you, you know brands have had to try to get very cute with the consumer because of really crappy, excuse my French, you know, the really, really bad, shitty marketing technology. And that time is done. The consumer's done. The state of the technology has changed. It's over. Like, clap, clap, wake up. Like, we're done with all that. It's time to move on, right? Um, and I truly think you'll start to build a better, you know, a better relationship with every single consumer by putting meaningful stuff in front of them and not screwing them over with the data that they give you. It's just that simple. Like, just stay there. You're good. So we've got about three minutes left. And how about for our closing, if each one of you just offer your continuing thoughts on what must a brand do to, in the words, the immortal words of Samir Patel, not screw over their consumers. Andrew, Andrew, you want to start with that one? There are so many ways you can screw over your consumer. Or to do the right thing. What, what should brands do that they want who, you know, to do the right thing? That's another way of saying it. It's not as much doing the right thing. Marketers want to increase their market share. It, it's, a, it's inherent in the system. The, 
real peace is not to go above and beyond to the point where people become distrustful of you. It's really just building off what Samir said. You can easily go off giving your consumer information and go to third parties, spend 75 cents a person and literally get their full history, their employment history, where they've lived, so on and so forth. And you can use that, it becomes extremely powerful. Um, but if you start doing that and people realize you do that, they're gonna go nuts. Uh, you're gonna make the front page of the news and, and there goes your profits for the next wherever. And we hear about companies that make the front page of the news because they do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you keep it at the level that you're interacting with my site, you're buying stuff, uh, you are doing this and that, and from that we are moving you forward, you're in a much safer space. Uh, now, there are places like Target, which sometimes overreach a little. You hear that somebody gets a congratulations on being pregnant, and like, wait, what? Uh, uh, because they hadn't told anybody yet. <laughs> but, it, but the interesting thing is that you hear more of those stories than the opposite. Okay. So Samir, you have the last last word. We have one minute left. Yeah, look, I, I think it's really simple. I think the, you know, uh, we are at a we're at a really critical and an amazing time in terms of revitalizing and rethinking every piece of the, the enterprise technology stack and B2C marketing automation is no difference. I think marketeers for the first time, you know, uh, have the ability to stop thinking about B2C marketing automation as workflow automation technology and truly put the consumer in the center of the entire experience process and figure all the business processes that actually, you know, sort of emanate out of that. How do I want to engage with an audience of one, Michael versus Andrew versus Samir? And what are the kinds of campaigns and things I need to be running that have to follow that? This is the opposite of how 10-year-old technology was designed. That was designed around scaling and batching and blasting stuff out there. Your consumers are way smarter than that. Unfortunately or fortunately for you, Netflix and Amazon and Airbnb and all the amazing digital brands have, have, have risen, you know, they have, have just a tolerance level of shoddy batch and blast technology is just not gonna cut it anymore. A very simple way to consider this is say, everything I do on a day-to-day -day basis, is the consumer in the center of the process or is it the convenience of my marketing automation that's at the center of the process? And you will immediately be able to figure out where the gaps are in the technologies that you use. Okay, what a, what a great summary in the end. Is the consumer at the center of our process and our life as a seller, as a marketer, or are we doing things because for our own convenience, right? You know, for, for our convenience, it's yours convenience. No, it has to be about the consumer and everything has to surround that. And on that note, this has been a very fast conversation. We've been talking with Samir Patel, who is the CEO of Kahuna and Andrew Eichenbaum, who is the lead data scientist at Kahuna Software. I am Michael Krigsman. You have been watching episode number 209 of CXO Talk, talking about the role of AI, artificial intelligence in marketing. Next week, there's no show because of the New Year's holiday. And everybody, thank you so much for watching. And Samir Patel and Andrew Eichenbaum, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Everybody, have a great week. Bye-bye.